Hello and welcome to another edition of the School Safety News Podcast. I am Amanda Klinger. And I'm Dr. Amy Klinger. And we're with the Educator School Safety Network. We are a national nonprofit organization and we provide school safety training and resources and technical assistance to schools throughout the United States and Canada. We have two different podcasts. This is our School Safety News Podcast. And we are sort of coming to you after what has been a really, really difficult week here in America in the wake of the tragedy that occurred in Parkland, Florida, where 17 Americans lost their lives in an American school. Some of you may be familiar with this podcast because we do try in the School Safety News podcast to sort of give you some of the news of what's happening in school safety. Um, but typically we don't have this horrific of an event to to mm -hmm. deconstruct and try to make sense of. So this is a tough one. This is a tough um, podcast. Um, you may also be familiar with us uh, for our school uh, safety free period, which is our other podcast, which is a very different sort of podcast, much more informal and where we sort of try to um, look at maybe some of the more absurd lighter side of some of the things that happen in schools. Um, certainly that is not in anyone's um, heart or mind right now to, to talk about the lighter side of things. Um, so what I think we would like to do today is, you know, we, we are assuming that if you're listening to this, that you have most likely heard most of the media reports and are pretty up to speed on the horrific events at, that happened in Parkland um, this week. So we're not going to spend a lot of time reading or, or telling you facts like that. Instead, I think what we would like to do is take advantage of what Amanda called, and I think is correct, this moment in time where the national attention and the national consciousness is centered on an issue that should have been very much at the forefront many, many times, um, but for whatever reason is now. Um, there is this, this brief window where hopefully we can have an intelligent discussion about the things that are um, very critical to this conversation. Yeah, usually on this podcast, we bring school safety news to you because it's not in the news or it's in the news in a very obscure, very back burner way. And so we bring critical school safety news to you and talk about it. I think for this specific tragedy that happened, we don't need to bring the news to you. I think instead we're going to talk about some of the things that we have been hearing so much in the news in the aftermath of this tragedy, and then I think respond to them directly. And a lot of things that we've been asked in the media mm -hmm. that we have done. Yeah. Um, it's very interesting to see the questions that sort of rise to the top of mm -hmm. what it is people want to ask us and what people want to, to sort of hear someone talk about. So yeah. yeah, we'll kind of take a question and answer sort of perspective um, looking at the things that we've heard a lot. So the very first one that we wanted to address and get out of the way is gun control. Uh, gun control, I think, is a large part of the conversation anytime that there is a tragedy like this. We are not a political organization, and I will say one of us is maybe for more gun control, and one of us is maybe less concerned about having more gun control, but that is not important. Um, well, and, but I think it is, it is important to come from the perspective that we personally have very different views on gun control, but professionally, we are able to come together and able to have an intelligent discussion about the role of guns and the impact of guns in schools. And that's what should be happening 
in many places, not just between us. Well, I think we've made a very utilitarian decision, which is we as a country are not going to solve guns right now. It's we, We've struggled with it for a very long time. And so as an organization, we're saying maybe we all can't agree on this right this second, but there are a lot of things that we can do in the wake of a tragedy that are completely apolitical that everyone can get behind. And so that's what we're choosing to focus on. So we're not saying that that's not an important discussion that doesn't have to happen, but we want to table that just for a brief moment so that we can start working on the things that we know everyone can agree on. Because when gun control becomes the centerpiece of the argument, you've immediately lost. You've you've immediately, immediately put people on opposite sides mm-hmm. of what is a very universal issue. And so... Um, I am recommending that we start at the universal truth that we all can get behind, and that's no one wants to see kids die in school. Mm-hmm. Okay, great. Let's start there. Yeah. So I think the the second most common issue that you hear discussed is the issue of we need funding for mental health. These people are mentally ill, uh, and we need to address the mental health issue. And I saw that the APA put out a statement sort of with some of their concerns of that we frame this as an issue of mental illness. And obviously in many of these cases, there are issues, underlying issues of mental illness, but it's not as simple as just saying, well, let's solve the problem of mental illness. Again, if we could have solved the problem of mental illness and mental health in this country, you think we would have done that 30, 40 years ago. And so I think the thing that we would sort of say in response is, yes, mental health and mental illness and people who are exhibiting behaviors of concern, obviously there is a correlation between those things. And we would want to then sort of pivot the conversation talking about threat assessment and management in schools. Well, before we do that, though, I think this is another example. The mental health discussion is another example of where you have this sort of dichotomous idea. So you either have to believe that any person that perpetrates violence in schools is crazy or they're not as opposed to there is a sliding scale of people with difficulties emotionally, difficulties in mental health, with mental health. Um, so it's, it's, it's a continuum as opposed to a black and white two sides of the coin. And I think, again, you know, clearly there are mental health issues at work in many of these, but there also are lots and lots of kids who have emotional concerns that don't maybe meet that threshold, but yet still are of concern and need support and interventions without a clinical diagnosis. And so I think we need to keep that from becoming a very dichotomous conversation. And so that's how threat assessment and management comes into play. So threat assessment and management is an evidence-based, comes to us from the world of sort of forensic psychology and from law enforcement. And we're saying that instead of going well, this kid had black fingernail polish and a trench coat, therefore they're a school shooter. We are moving to the notion that we're looking at behaviors that individuals are exhibiting, and we're looking at who do we need to be concerned about, how concerned do we need to be, and then what are we going to do about it? So threat assessment and management is figuring out who are our individuals of concern and then providing supports and interventions. So when what you just sort of mentioned that people are you know, quote unquote, mentally ill, or they have a mental mental health diagnosis, or whether they're exhibiting behaviors of concern, it doesn't really matter. What we're trying to do is who is at risk for violence against themselves or others, and then what are we going to do about it? Because and, if and because, then doing something about it, right? Because if we don't come to a fact based behavioral sort of investigation sort of approach, we get back into the this kid's weird. That kid was weird. 
or this kid had a black trench coat or this kid and 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 I have heard a lot of the media coverage of people saying this kid was he was a weirdo there's a lot of weird kids yeah quote I was unquote a, weird kids. I, I was a weird kid in high school Einstein so, was a weird kid yeah. there's all kinds of people that were and, and I hate to see us go to a place where we are somehow categorizing people based on their non-compliance with what we perceive to be norms mm-hmm. And that's a very dangerous place to go in schools, Mm -hmm. too, because for many of these weird kids, school is the only place where they are able to, you know, be accepted for their genius in theater or in art or and and even sometimes not even in school. So I think it's really important that we get to a place where we're looking at facts Mm -hmm. and we're looking at behaviors. Mm -hmm. And that's really where we're going with threat assessment. And we haven't seen a lot of conversation about that. Um, and it's very interesting that when we talk about it, oftentimes, and I've had this happen twice in the last two days, people act like we created it. Like, oh, we made up threat assessment. No, we didn't. It, 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 this, is a, this is an approach that is fact-based and, and uh, grounded in research and is a best practice. Mm-hmm. And I think you use the right verbs of uh, you know, identifying who should we be concerned about, mm-hmm. um, assessing how concerned Which we should be. It sounds like in the, this tragedy in Parkland that they did identify oh, who they should be concerned about. So then let's talk about maybe those next two steps, because I think we hear a lot in the media people saying, well, well, we should see something, say something, and, and it sort of fell apart here in this case because the FBI knew about and blah, 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 whatever. So, so let's maybe focus on those next two. So after we've identified, which I think maybe we have under control, maybe, maybe not, but, but well, then and, what that's are the next? A, and that's a big sliding scale too. True. How are we identifying? Are we going back to, this is a weird kid. So now all of a sudden he's a threat or are we identifying based on things that are said, right. social media postings, fascinations with weapons, mm-hmm. uh, references to Columbine, verbal threats Violence that are made. Violence to animals, yeah. You know, all of those well, things. But now let's get to the, get to the assess and the manage. Because if I identify just a weird kid who's just, you're Einstein. Right, so say you do say you misidentify Einstein. If we're doing the assess and the manage part correctly, that's not going to be a problem. So talk about assess right, and manage. And, and identify is not just that we're saying threat assessment goes around looking for people to be to be weirded about. Like who should we be worried about? It's the referrals come from the see something, say something sort of mentality of I felt uncomfortable when he said this or it seems weird that he's or unusual or, or, you know, troublesome that he is obsessed with Columbine and he told me he was getting explosive materials. Those things become referrals that help us to identify this individual and then we can assess how concerned should we be and we're making that assessment based on a fact-based behavioral multidisciplinary assessment of what are these individuals doing what do we know to be true and we always use the analogy and threat assessment of connecting the dots of what does the family know what do the friends know what does the school know what does law enforcement know and really getting a, a, a total picture of what's happening with this individual instead of one thing in isolation. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the assess piece mm-hmm. that requires a more formalized process. Mm-hmm. So it can't just be me sort of, what do I think as the mm-hmm. principal? It's what does the team do after they have put together a real picture of this individual through interviews and questioning and looking at all those things. Mm-hmm. So it's it, it, it's, a, it's a team approach. Mm-hmm. And then the, I think the third part is then the management. So we've 
you know, we have a, a, a person that's come to our attention, they've been identified, and we've looked at all the facts and we've put all this information together and our multidisciplinary team has made the assessment that we do need to be concerned about this person. This is a legitimate concern. This is a substantive threat. And so then we manage that. And so we provide appropriate supports and interventions. Now, we have been talking about threat assessment only in the context of school shootings because of what happened this week. But threat assessment can be used for students who are at risk for a myriad of risk-taking behaviors. So if this student is at risk for dating violence, then maybe the uh, management, the management part, the support and intervention is going to be, we're going to monitor this situation or we're going to have a no contact agreement, or maybe that's not a great one for, for dating violence, but the supports and interventions will look very different. And it might look like involving law enforcement if we are legitimately concerned that this person is at risk for committing a school shooting or committing real serious violence. Well, and I think it's looking at the perspective of at risk for posing a threat for violence against themselves or others. Mm -hmm. And that's a very, and, and that is certainly a continuum of, of possible possible issues that might be coming up um, in, in that regard. And I think the, the critical identify, assess, and manage is really the big piece yes. in those particular things. And it's not something that can easily be, do, be done like, oh, we just want to spontaneously start doing it. We do need training, mm -hmm. and you do have to have threat assessment teams. Mm -hmm. But I think the underlying concern is how do we balance the right of that individual to attend school, to mm -hmm. a free and appropriate public education, mm -hmm. how do we balance that with the right of the school to keep it safe mm -hmm. and the majority being safe? And so that's that push-pull that threat assessment really helps us to deal with. Right. So we have tons of more information about threat assessment on our website, um, which is www.eschoolsafety.org. And you will see information about threat assessment and about the training that we offer and just other sort of information and resources about threat assessment. And, and we could obviously talk about it quite a bit more. It's a, it's a full day of training, so um, we don't want to just spend the whole time talking about that. So the, the other big thing that I think I see, have seen a lot of is people saying that, you know, we should, well, we don't, have school, we don't have shootings like this in our airports and in hospitals, and that's because they have metal detectors and they have armed guards. And so we should move to security, uh, military, you know, military, paramilitary, law enforcement security measures like that. Yeah, um, and, and there's been a lot of conversation about that. Mm -hmm. If we only had multiple armed guards, mm -hmm. um, if we only had, you know, more fencing and more mm -hmm. all those kinds of things that move us much more to a sort of prison mm -hmm. mentality, and we're mm -hmm. not running prisons, we're running schools. Um, but, but it is important to note that um, there was an armed guard yeah. on campus at this shooting. Mm -hmm. um, I believe the last few of these, there have been armed guards there. Well, I think there's, there's it's, two, it's a huge campus. There sure. are 3,000 kids. Well, I think there's two really important, if we're, if we're talking about a move to a more prison-like environment for schools, there's two important critical facts. One is we are running schools, not prisons. So there is a cost to us. Say we could, you know, say we could reconfigure every school in America and every child would be in a cell and they'd be perfectly quote-unquote safe and secure. Is that really what we want? Number one. But number two, what you're saying, which is there have been so many instances in these past horrific events, including the one that happened this week, where there was a trained, armed law enforcement official on the campus. 
and we still had horrific tragedy. And there were metal detectors. There were metal detectors. Not at this particular event, but in past events, there's been metal detectors. There's Mm -hmm. been fencing. All the things that people are saying, Mm -hmm. we need to go buy more of this stuff. We Mm -hmm. need to go buy more of this stuff. Bullet, or, uh, you know, buzzer systems were the thing after Mm -hmm. Sandy Hook. And Mm -hmm. and, and I, I think we mentioned in a podcast... Um, about some of the legislation out of New Mexico where they're mm. looking at $40 million On over stuff. four years. And it is literally all, at this point, proposed to be earmarked for fencing, metal detectors, and stuff. Mm-hmm. Stuff, 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 instead of investing in our people. Mm-hmm. And we saw that so tragically in this particular event where the people that were on the front line dying and protecting kids and do it wasn't law enforcement it wasn't an armed guard it was a teacher it was a, a, a professional educator who was either injured killed traumatized thrust into this horrific situation mm. how can we not be investing in those people mm. and, and we're not saying that there isn't a place for school-based law enforcement well-trained um school-based law enforcement officials can be a, a, a huge help in a school, but it is not a magical solution. It is not just as easily easy as plunking a cop in every school in America and we will have solved this problem. It is not that simple. And, and there's not enough. Well, you would have to have, but even in if, a school the I'm, size even of if this it was one, possible, you would even have if to it have was possible, it's not platoons simple. of officers. Well, yeah. I mean, even so, even if we were able to have a one-to-one, one student and one trained law enforcement official, that might not even prevent these. And there's a cost to us because we are running schools, not prisons. I, I will say one thing though that I do agree with in the the only in the statements about airports and blah blah blah. Mm. We have to get past this notion that I can say anything in a school as long as I claim it was a joke mm-hmm. and then it's okay and mm-hmm. we're supposed to excuse that. Yeah. Um, I, I will agree with that. I mean, we have a long enough history that we certainly can say, you know, you can't stand in an airport and make a joke about a bomb. You're not going to stand in a school and make a joke about a right. school shooting, supposedly, and have everyone just go, oh, it's okay for you to say no. that. So no, I, I will I, agree I, with that. No, I, I, w- I would agree with that one as well. And I think then the sort of last one that we want to, in the same vein, is the uh, sort of other quick fix that is floated, which is arming teachers. That we would, if we just armed all the teachers, um, that that would solve this problem. Do you want to respond to that one? Well, uh, you know, I, I told someone actually in an interview today, I can come up, I can give you a list of a hundred things that we can do to keep schools safe. And when you've done those hundred things, then the hundred and one we'll talk about arming teachers because there are so many things. And it was interesting, I I heard someone today who was a uh, trained law enforcement official, a very avid gun advocate who was saying the amount, and he was talking about this particular shooting, and he said that the level of training you would need to have to be able to physically move that quickly around that facility and be able to shoot with that accuracy. Mm-hmm. And, and he was explaining the level of training. He said there's probably a handful of people in the state of Florida that would have the that high of a level of training to have been able to have done anything to impact what was happening in that event. Mm-hmm. And, I, and, and I think that's very telling that if, if it would work, yeah, but we but we know that when you have an armed professional on campus in all of these events and it doesn't do any good. An armed law enforcement professional, yeah. not just a professional educator who's armed. Yeah. And I, I think, you know, 
are, I think many educators would sort of say, we don't have enough time for the professional development that we need for our actual job of educating kids. How on earth are we going to carve out time to have the development professionally that we would need to be able to handle well, firearms. And forget that. How about the, the mentality, the the mindset, the, the military or the law enforcement mindset is very different than the education mindset. And it's not that one's better than the other, but it's it's also just, just a very different um, sort of approach. And all of the arguments about ar ar arming teachers presuppose that that would help. And I think you have heard a lot of law enforcement officials saying that that would not help. That having adding more guns to this equation would not help. Maybe adding more well-trained law enforcement or military people with guns maybe would help. But adding just purely more folks, more good, more good folks with guns with well intentions is not good enough to actually help right. in the situation. And I think probably the best argument about to look at arming the arming teachers debate is to just go back and look at history. Just mm -hmm. go back and look at the past couple of years. Um, where you have situations where trained professionals have discharged a firearm accidentally in school. Trained where, law enforcement professionals. Right, yeah, the trained officers um, have discharged where they, a kid has taken the weapon from mm. them. They've left the weapon somewhere when they went coming out of the restroom. All those sort of misadventures. Mm. Then look at what we know to be true about these particular events, how quickly they're over. 87 seconds at Arapahoe High School. I don't think... Uh, an entire SWAT team standing around would have been able to stop that in 87 seconds, let alone someone that had to go find a safe, get the thing in, do all the different mm. things that we've heard bandied around. And so when you say you think arming teachers is a terrible idea, people think that it's because you're anti-gun. I'm anti-things that don't work. Mm. Well, and we do have places where they have allowed teachers to be armed. And in those places, they haven't prevented or stopped or mitigated any school shootings, but those folks have accidentally fired their weapons in schools. So we, we don't know that arming teachers would actually help what we're trying to help, but we do know when we have armed, teacher, it has, it, armed teachers, it has caused more harm than good. And we also know, when I, maybe I'm being facetious about the 100, but we also know that there's all kinds of initiatives that could be undertaken mm -hmm. that we do know work. Right as opposed to the wild card, there's a lot of evidence that indicates that arming teachers does not work. Um, and so I think we need to start with the things that we do know, like threat assessment. Mm -hmm. um, and, and you know, and I think kind of the overarching thing with these questions is that, you know, people want a, a quick solution. An easy solution. They, uh, you know, yep. here's this one thing. If we just flip this switch and do this one thing, mm -hmm. everything will be fine. And it's not true. You know, schools are a reflection of our society. So we have a society where kids are immersed in violence. We have too many video games and too much interaction with technology, perhaps. And perhaps we have lots of situations in home environments and opioid epidemics and all kinds of things that we can people feeling you know estranged and lonely right and so we can make lists and lists and lists and, yeah. of all of those things do we think those things stop at the schoolhouse door those things bleed over into our schools and so to act like our schools are the place where this violence begats it's coming from our society as well. So it's not just an education issue, it's a societal sort of issue. And so I think we need to take a multi-pronged approach. We've talked about um, 
threat assessment. We need to talk about climate and culture. Mm -hmm. That is certainly a factor. Uh, we need to talk about supervision and, and disclosures and how do we get kids to tell us what they know. We need to talk about technology with social media. We need to talk about a whole host of things that are conversations that are uncomfortable mm -hmm. and difficult, hard work. Mm -hmm. But if you really want to solve this problem, we need to start putting together a patchwork of solutions instead of let me just force this one solution down your throat and every, and everything will be fine. Right. It, it's, it's, you know, I, I think probably the overarching theme of this particular podcast is not us talking about the things that need to be doing, but we really, you know, I, I put on Facebook this week, you know, we do this work all the time, but there, there are these reminders of how high the stakes are. Mm -hmm. And um, there just are no words. We can do this podcast and talk about all these things and act like we know so much, but there are no words to describe what these families are going through. There's just mm -hmm. nothing to say. There is nothing that we can say. Um, you know, we can make platitudes of, of prayers and thoughts, and, and, and clearly those things are happening. But everyone has to acknowledge just the absolute catastrophe and the absolute horror that these families are, are going through. And we certainly yeah. don't want to in any way have that get lost in this discussion. Yeah, and I think the, you know, the th thoughts and prayers are, are important, obviously, but I think the, the most important thing that we can do to honor these victims and to uh, honor and support their family is being able to look past a quick solution and be able to do the work of a nuanced patchwork of evidence-based things that we we know and I think that's we owe that to these victims and we owe that to these families and we owe that to our children and we owe that to our future generations of yeah maybe as Americans we like shiny new things and we like quick fixes but we have to sort of do the difficult work on this one yeah so. and I think as we move forward and we get into you know we move forward and we begin to forget and we begin to get complacent again and we begin to start arguing about some of these fundamental philosophical or political issues. We need to always keep coming back to where we were this week with those people in, and these families and, uh, like you said, honor that memory by actually making something happen. Yeah.